Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the improvement of teamwork, leadership, and culture. By the way, not just in the workplace. These are places that can happen in our family lives, our social lives, all over the place. Ideas that you can implement immediately. And today we are joined by an executive coach, executive leader, Michael King. And Michael's experienced executive and leadership coach with a demonstrated history of working in the management consulting industry. Now that's key. He's not only been in the positions, he's also a coach in that industry. So he's also skilled in nonprofit and operations management. We're going to talk about that today as well. He focuses in on team building, leadership, as well as strategic planning. Michael is a strong business development professional with a master's degree focused in on leadership and executive coaching from Bellevue University in Nebraska. Michael King, welcome to The Teamwork Advantage. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of exciting here. I, I've got a passion myself, as I can kind of hear it in your voice too, about what all this is and getting people to just reach inside of themselves and help others and be able to develop teamwork and all through that. How did you get started in this? I mean, we were talking a little offline. You originally were thinking going to be in the uh, army band, and then there was yeah. holes in different directions that took you there. Tell us about what got you from where you were to where you are? Well, I, I, you know, I think just growing up in, in the Midwest, and I think just like a lot of people, like we, we start off life feeling like there's a greater purpose and there's a greater plan out there that we all want to be a part of. For me specifically, I felt a, a specific call in, into ministry and really serving people and be able to help people find uh, faith. And I do believe that everybody deserves the opportunity to experience hope. And that, that doesn't necessarily just line up with, um, whether you're faith based or not, I, I believe that hope is an engine. And so for me, you know, I, I hopped into ministry for, so for the last 20 years, uh, I've been serving, uh, well, up till about five years ago, I was serving in the capacity of an executive pastor and, and leadership coach within the, within the church-based world. Um, and also in the music, Christian music side of things as well. And, um, but about five years ago, I started just having some nudges and I, and I'd always felt like maybe that I was created for something just a little bit different. Maybe that my platforms were just a little bit outside of the area of church. I, I noticed that I was kept on rubbing shoulders with leaders that were excelling in the church based, uh, church space, but also leaders that were blowing things up in the world, you know, working with university leaders and leadership coaches. Um, and so about five years ago, I, I took a bold move and uh, made a big step to, to step outside of the church space. Um, and I think along the way in there as well, I have experienced enough bad culture within, within teams. <laughs> that, I think we've all experienced that. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, so it's one of those things to where when you ask that question of like, okay, well, how did you end up where you ended up at? Well, I think rather than being a part of the problem, you want to kind of be a part of the solution. And so I really just wanted to dive in and devote my life to really creating uh, exceptional experiences for people. And is that when you went back <clears throat> to your master's or had you already gotten your master's? You know what? No, I was, um, 
I was in the middle of, of kind of like one of those big pain points sitting in the middle of a team that I, that I felt like, I didn't quite know if I was the problem or whether the problem was around me or if it was just this all encompassing thing, but I knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm the type of leader that if I don't feel like the needle's moving, I might go a little bit crazy. So um, I decided to go ahead and, and try to uh, hop back in and further my education at the time, almost as a way of just self-diagnosing some things as well to find out, okay, how do I need to change? What can I do to get better? But in the middle of that, I really found something even more significant than that. So let's go, let's go back on a calendar here. That was uh, then you're saying about five years ago. So yeah, 20- so it was right around 2015, 2016 is when I is when that whole experience started to unravel. Okay. And then of course you get into the business and the pandemic hits. Yeah, exactly. And all of that. And so we're all familiar with the challenges that that's <clears throat> brought on. Uh, we've had some guests on the teamwork advantage recently talking about the great resignation, or as one guest called it, the great reshuffle, because yes. those people aren't just leaving, they're landing somewhere, whether it's in their own um, consulting business or doing something of their own, taking their side hustle to a permanent hustle or whatever. So let's just talk a little bit. One of the questions I want to ask you is at the time you did this, so you're going back, let's go back 10 years. Let's do a 10-year snapshot, a five-year snapshot, a two-year snapshot before the pandemic. And then today, what are we noticing about effective leaders? How have they changed and again, we're looking at the effective ones. What, what have they changed? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing that I would say right now, and I think that you're finding this, that, is that there's this culture catalyst that's happening right now in the regards to this idea of elevated emotional intelligence within, within your workspaces. I think the things that were acceptable 10 years ago when it came to uh, organizational leadership, top-down leadership, whatever it is, organizational leadership, there was some, there was things that, that were happening within organizations to where people were more committed to their systems than they were to their people. Now, what we're finding out is that as we go on, especially when it comes to keeping team members happy and really finding out ways that we can serve our team members the best and bring out the best in them is that we have to be okay with being a little bit more flexible and really finding out ways that we can call out the best in our team members, even if it doesn't necessarily fit within our ideal uh, growth or system or whatever it is that we're trying to build for our team. We build, that's probably the, one of the biggest things that I've seen over the last few years is that we've, we've gotten caught up in the idea that we build to the things that we're familiar with. And sometimes there's limitations to that. And so we have to be open to some other opportunities. And so finding out what's in the best uh, contribution space our team members can bring is really important. That, that's great. And I understand where you're coming from with leaders. How can leaders then convince followers that this is in the best interest for them as well as the team? Because let's face it, inevitably, we as a human race don't like change. Yeah, we hate change. Yeah. So what, what, what are the successful people doing today? In other words, it, it's totally changed since the pandemic hit on the ways they do. The challenges are still the same, but what are they doing differently? They're doing a little bit differently. The things that I would say that are some of the, going back to the basics, going back to some simple things to where I talk about this idea of mass 
I talk about this idea of cadence and communication. So let me tell you a little bit about this, this idea, uh, first and foremost, is that, is that a leader, when you're leading a team, um, if you're, I think it was, I think it's, uh, many people have said ideas like this, but if you're, if you find yourself, you know, only out for a walk, um, you're only leading yourself. Um, so if you don't have a mass, if you don't, um, if there's not a group of people that you're actually leading or influencing, then you're not technically a leader. So the mass is so important. So who are you influencing and what are you trying to accomplish? And is there, are there feedback mechanisms that you actually are hearing back from the people that you're leading? The second part of this though, is the cadence part. And I think that this is what has changed significantly, um, over the last decade is the idea that when we when we're looking for feedback from our teams and even in our communication points what does the cadence look like um for example if you are a high level leader and you're anticipating that you're going to get a big result out of your team by having few proximity moments with your leaders that's probably not going to be effective anymore right. people are expecting more consistent communication than ever and technology has made accessibility a you know, a, a higher priority. So those things are anticipated, but they're also expected as well. And high level leaders that are actually moving the needle and they're producing results like they never have before, they're learning how to embrace cadence and proximity and consistent communication into their leadership like never before. And they're using some technology things to embrace that as well. So when we're starting technology, obviously we're talking about different types of apps, software development programs, things of that nature can help. The question is, people are still at the center of everything. Always. Are we now taking that pendulum, swinging it so far to some of the technology that we're losing sight of the people? I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I would say that if we're not intentional about what we're actually trying to accomplish, then it's too easy to allow that exact scenario to happen. Okay. Um, and so what I mean is that is that on the technology side of things, uh, it's really important that we're asking meaningful questions. It's really important that we're talking about the things that matter. Um, one of the things in my team's methodology that I work with my, with my teams and my senior leaders is point number two is, is the idea of engagement. And engagement has these three different angles to it. So how are we engaging with ourselves? Because we all know that the hardest person to lead is ourself, right? Absolutely. We're also and, the first person we lie to. <laughs> we are, that's, and that's huge. But the second part of engagement is how are we engaging with, with the audience or how are we engaging with the crowd? Um, are we, do we feel like we're you know, bringing valuable content in their context that's actually relevant? But the second part of this is so important is how do we feel like we're engaging with the people that we report to? This is huge. Okay. And so in, in a workspace environment, a significant number of, of team members, actually 63% of, of team members that were surveyed out of thousands, 7,000 people surveyed, they felt like there was a lack of, of feedback that they were able to give to their senior leader on a consistent basis. And just by increasing that one thing within team engagement, they're able to find significantly higher and better results by increasing that engagement pattern. Let's make sure I'm clear. You were saying 63% of people said that they had no real mechanism to give feedback about their boss. Am I right on that? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And so we- Is that because the boss didn't want the feedback or is that because there just wasn't the mechanism in place to do that? 
I think it's both and. And I want to be clear about this because all the way since the 1950s, we've had opportunities to do 360 degree feedbacks. I think this goes all the way back to the to World War II and the ExxonMobil days when the 360 feedback became kind of a, 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 a cultural mainstay when it comes to leadership development, right? But actually understanding that, you know, this is this is more important than just a checklist. This is significant of understanding that how we receive feedback from our team members is actually probably significantly more important than the feedback that we actually have for our team members. And so how are we embracing that? Is it just a checklist? Because what we're hearing from our team members, it's not that the mechanisms aren't there. It's that the intent of just going through the motions and just going through the checklist, making sure that we've dotted every I, crossed every T when it comes to our team evaluations is it meaningful in our senior leaders actually hearing from team members? That's so important. And then, of course, is are they hearing it? And one of my great quotes that I use from my own business is, knowledge is not power without application. I love it. So now the leaders have this knowledge from the feedback. Are they applying it? So the ones that do have the mechanism <clears throat> in place, are they applying it? Are the leaders then applying what they're learning? And are we applying what we've learned in our 360s? Well, and see, I think that that's the key is that, you know, I think, well, I know this is that every successful leader has a coach that they, that they work with. I, I don't know of any high level leader that is working with, or that is, is finding success that's out there doing it on their own. And I don't think that you should, I think that you were built to do this within a community and to be able to have influences coming your direction that are, that are credible and meaningful. Right. And so within that, one of the things that I'm working with, with, with my leaders, with, uh, we were talking about cadence, we're talking about communication and we're talking about mass is the idea that rather than just waiting for the one year mark to go and just check that box of saying, okay, I've heard some valuable feedback from my team. We make this a normal ritual on a week to week basis to where we almost take uh, emotional intelligence and we put it into a KPI on a week to week basis to where our senior leaders are getting an emotional intelligence report coming back from their team on a week to week basis. And it could be something as simple of on a scale of one to 10, here's the level I feel like I'm connecting with my direct report this week. And so rather than waiting one year to find out that so-and-so was offended by a conversation that happened in a hallway, we're finding out how people are feeling and how they're engaging in shorter spans. That way we can actually track somebody's emotional investment into their role, opposed to just hoping the best and finding out a year later. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense because one of the things about communication is getting constant feedback because if we're going down one path and somebody else is going down the same path with us on communication, then all of a sudden there's a, a deviance in that it goes like this. And that is much easier to correct at an early stage than to wait till it's, it's way out there. Um, micro, um, as one of my coaches used to use the term, micro in-flight corrections are so key to your own success. Find something that you're doing wrong and make a little change along those lines. That's um, James Clear talks about that in yes. the book, Atomic Habits, is making micro changes. Yeah, and so that's exactly what this is about which I love atomic habits. That's one of the, it's one of my highly recommended book reads as well. So within this, and, and I think when it comes to, and, and you get this, we work in the same space. So this is awesome. So I, I love, I love 
how you think and and how you lead in the in this genre. But here's something that I want to be clear about is that you know high level leadership is that you can't really hide a narcissistic spirit. Does that make sense? <laughs> like if you're yeah, only absolutely. getting you know if you're only getting feedback from your team to when it either when it only feels good, when it only looks good, and when it only matches up to the the metrics that you want to see delivered to you, your team is going to smell that and they're going to see that coming from a million miles away. And so when you talk about the idea of well, what are you going to do with this data? Well. The leaders that I work with, I'm really happy to let you know, man, these guys are champions. They're amazing. And, uh, all the way from, from high-level Fortune 500 down to entrepreneurs, I've been able to work with leaders that actually authentically care about their teams. And so they're getting data on a shorter-term feedback mechanism, and they're able to put some things into play immediately. And I love it. That's key, is getting the feedback on a routine basis. And you said something else. Uh, just a few moments ago that I thought was powerful. And that is high level executives have coaches. Yes. And that's key. If we stop and think about it, people say, well, I don't need a coach. I, I know what I'm doing. Well, I, I beg to differ because if we <clears throat> stop and look, I can't think of any professional athlete, whether you want to talk about football, baseball, basketball, hockey, golf, it doesn't matter. They've all got different coaches golf players, the top golf players have a swing coach. They have a putting coach. They have a, a strength and conditioning coach. They all have multiple coaches that focus on different things. And are you seeing that? I'm not saying we need 10 different coaches, but do you feel that some people could benefit from having multiple coaches and doing different things? Yeah. I'm saying that a man is the sum average of the five loudest voices in their life. I'm saying that a woman is the sum average of the five loudest voices in their life. So, you know, if I want to be a better leader, guess who I'm going to have in my life? Yep. A better leader, right? If yeah. I want to be a better at finances, I'm going to have somebody in my circle that's going to be, but the problem is, is that, is that more times than not, when I start working with a leader and we start going through this assessment part of finding out, okay, where's your, your influences coming from? Where's your impacts? Where's your intakes coming from? What I found out is, is that somewhere along the line, you said this at the very beginning is that we lie to ourselves. Remember that? Yep. Well, we also find ourselves playing uh, victim to just allowing those five voices to just happen organically instead of actually taking the lead and assigning those seats. You Let's have back five. Up, back up with me. I want, yeah. I want to get, I want to get this because that's, this is something I've not heard before. So let's go back and break that down a little bit more for me. You have five voices in your life that are influencing you, whether you like it or not. And so whether those are the childhood voices that you grew up with, whether they're family dynamics, whether they're even in your current workplace or in your current church or whatnot, but you have voices that are influencing you. And, and so the things that we hear, are the things that we think about, the things that we think about are the things that we feel and the way that we feel determines our behaviors and our outputs, some of the decisions that we make. So understanding that we actually have a choice of these five seats that are influencing us, that this is important, that you might actually have to take some analysis, some evaluation of those five voices that are in your life and choose whether those people should be in those seats or whether they should be removed from those seats, not from removed from your life, but should they be one of the five most influential voices in your life? And are you assigning those seats to the people that can have the biggest impact for you? That's powerful. Because it's taking the book from um, Jim Collins, Good to Great. That's exactly good, it. 
getting the right people on the bus, getting them in the right seats. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about in our own lives, redirecting those seats a little bit, not necessarily kicking them off the bus, but giving them a different seat on the bus. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think especially so, so I grew up in, in Sioux city, Iowa and, um, in my, I didn't necessarily grow up in a broken family, but I knew growing up that my dad was a little bit absent and my mom was just, she was struggling a bit. And so growing up in that, there was just quite a bit of dysfunction in my family. And it took some pretty big catalytic moments in my life and for, for me to recognize I need to change some of these seats that are in my life in order for me to actually get where I need to get. And so those voices and those influences in my life were so key. I had one of those moments just about four years ago when I decided that I was going to bring on an executive coach for myself. And I thought, you know what? I need, I need to continually grow as a leader. So I'm going to go ahead and reassign this seat. I'm just making a note here on that because that is just, that's eye-opening. It's very, very different from anything that anybody's talked about before. So once we get these seats reassigned, then we're going to start listening to the people. And we're naturally, if I'm understanding you correctly, going to listen to the loudest voices. And we want to make sure that the loudest voice is that of either someone or something within us that's giving us the greatest positive impact. Is that about right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ideally we're, we're surrounding ourselves with people that are full of character and credibility, people that have a proven track record. And it's not just opinion people that are coming into our lives or bringing negative emotional energy, but we're bringing people into our lives that can impact us in a positive way that will be relentless of seeing the best in us. And that is so key because here's the thing is that I don't, you get this, like in the, in this leadership space, it's too easy for us to find people in our lives that secretly want to take take you down or distract you or, or whatnot. And, um, and so for me, it's like, I have an amazing opportunity where it's like, I have the chair of a leadership department from the university of Nebraska. He's one of my, he's one of my voices. I have spiritual advisors that are a part of, part of my five seats. I have top level CEOs that are a part of my five seats. And then I have some of the best coaches in the country that are part of my five seats. That's was, that was built by intentional thought. That's awesome because now that's going to make you a better leader as you've got the right people guiding you, whether it's in a mentor capacity or just listening to the voice, whether it's formal or informal, that's going to make you a better leader. Absolutely. Well, that's by theory, right? I mean, we're by theory <coughs> and by application. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about now, once we've got our leaders in here and things of that direction, what can leaders do today to be more successful for their teams? Now, let's not just talk about the executive level. Let's talk about mid-level. Let's, uh, you know, could be talking about somebody who's managing a call center or a front line or a manufacturing team, anywhere through those lines. You know, there's so many places. It could be um, in an auto body shop, lots of places. What can the leaders do today that's different than what they did five years ago, two years ago? Yeah, well, we live in an amazing time right now where I've said this a million times, it feels like in the last few weeks, is that we live in a time where leaders are allowed to break the rules. And that is so important because, you know, in the past, 
um, you know, especially in mid mid-level leaders is that we've been caught up with making sure that we stay within policy, making sure that we stay within original system structures and strategies and guidelines. And everything had to play out uh, as what I would call like build by design. This is the way that we designed it. So this is the way that we're going to build it. And this is what it takes to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that to a certain extent. In a manufacturing business, that makes perfect sense. You've got a build sheet that you're going to follow. But for a team, that's not true. It's not. And so what we're finding out now is that, in fact, one of the clients I'm working with right now is that they have an amazingly talented person on their team. And now in the middle of, of this thing that we call you know, the pandemic, COVID, we find out that there's some hidden talents that are on the team that by us finding some of those hidden talents and actually allowing that team member, even though it's not what we were looking for, it's not something that we even wanted originally, but now we actually have some some talent and some 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 different abilities that are on the team that we can actually bring into play. The team member actually feels significantly more fulfilled, and overall org- organizationally, we're able to push the needle on something that we weren't even necessarily planning on doing. So, listening and being cognitively aware and emotionally connected to your team like you never have been before, mm-hmm. these are the things that are taking teams up to the next level right now. And if you're not able to catch that, if you're not noticing things like that, you could be steering yourself right into a reef, if you will, using the uh, navigational analogy. Absolutely. Well, HR Executive Magazine came out with this idea that up to 73% of all leaders, whether you're mid-level or high-level leaders, are experiencing burnout at some level, whether that's a low-level, mid-level, or high-level burnout. And so if the leaders are experiencing burnout, it means that their teams are as well. Mm-hmm. The reason why is that is because if things are working, a leader's not burning out. Well, that's true. Right. If, if things are working, people aren't getting burned out. No, they're not. It means that they're executing on things that they know are working and they're, they're running the plays and things are going well. But when a leader's burning out, means their teams are burning out, means they're trying a lot of things to try to make something work. And so the things that are the things that haven't worked in the past are the things that aren't working now. And so they're trying to try new things, which is great, but they're trying the wrong things over and over and over again. And it's causing mass burnout. It's the old expression that says perfect practice makes perfect, not just practice makes perfect, but perfect practice. We got to be practicing the right things. 100%. Yeah. That's where you start to get into it. So let's imagine right now that the leader is doing well, the team is functioning well, but you may have a person, uh, Bob on one, one week is struggling with an area and maybe you can sense some burnout. And the next week it's Carol struggling with something else. And another week it could be Stan and different people at different points. What are leaders doing? Because one of your three things you talked about, you talked about mass cadence and communication. Um, what are one of the things that leaders are doing today Again, we're working with either remote teams, hybrid teams, or in some cases, you know, people are back to full swing. But what are they doing today? Let's assume either a hybrid or a uh, still a fully remote workforce. What are they doing today to be able to communicate more effectively? And if they're not doing it, what should they be doing? Um, what are, so if I understand your question right, you're asking me, what are, what are leaders doing to, to help communicate more effectively? Right. And not only just to communicate, but to, to help find those people when they're burned out, to be able to reel them back in and maybe get them on a path because everybody's going to burn out at different rates, at different days with different things. Yeah. 
uh, embracing flexibility at a level that you never have before is championing a whole new generation of employees and leaders. And I want to say that again, because okay. I, that couldn't be more important or more, more relevant today than ever before, but embracing flexibility uh, at levels and understanding at levels that you never have before is, is propelling and is empowering a whole new generation of leaders like we've never seen before. So within that, for example, a really good example is this, is that I have a Starbucks right down the street from where my office is. And in it, to be honest with you, it's, a, it's slightly annoying that I don't know exactly when they're going to be open. Um, it's just one of those things where it's like right now in the middle of COVID, if they don't have the manpower to do it, they're not going to struggle through. They're going to go ahead and shut their store for the day and, and hope for the best. Um, is it kind of like that out there by where you're at? I don't know that I've seen stores close, but I have seen um, reduced services. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And so I, so I think that we've embraced the idea of what we can do. And so building somebody's portfolio up to about 70 to 80% of their capacity, but always leaving that 20 to 30% margin for flexibility and understanding and communicating that value consistently through the stream. If your team member understands that you're not looking necessarily for them to knock it out of the park every single time, but they understand what the outcome is supposed to be. And they understand that you're going to create a freedom to fail environment for them so they can win. That way they, they, they understand that, man, I'm not looking for you to put in 150% every single time, but we want you to go ahead. We want you to deliver, but we also want you to understand that there's high levels of flexibility and understanding because we're trying new things as well. If your team member sees that upper leadership, higher level leaderships, your C-suite, that they're being innovative, that they're being ingenious, they're really focusing on relevancy, and they're also focusing on trying new ideas and trying new things, they're going to see that trickle down as a culture issue. And, e and again, even if they fail, that's okay, because they're trying something. Absolutely. I mean, the same things, high-level leaders struggle with the exact same things that every other, I mean, we're all humans in this. Mm -hmm. And so we're all experiencing something new that we really, well, for the last two years we've experienced it, but prior to that, we had never experienced anything like this. Yeah. Most high level leaders that end up getting stuck, it's not because they're not brilliant. It's because they don't know how to take the first step. Your team is the exact same way. Mm -hmm. You know, the old adage is major league baseball. If you fail two thirds of the time at the batting average, if you <laughs> fail two thirds of the time, you're going to end up in the hall of fame. So, so true. <laughs> so stop and let's, let's look at this now from another, I want to stay on the leadership track here. Yeah. Um, we, I, we mentioned, and you chuckled at it, the great resignation slash reshuffle. So if your organization is struggling, what, what can you do today to attract and he here and retain your current talent and keep them engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Communication is always, is always the anchor to this. If you, if you're improving your, your communication cadence and you're communicating your values and you're making sure that your team member understands how much, how they're, how much they're valued and how they're important with where they're at, they're going to, they're going to stick around longer. Now attracting talent in this space today, especially in today's market space this is going to take some creativity and this is going to take some flexibility for you to be able to looking for things that aren't necessarily things that were on your radar in the first place. So being open to the idea of what you need to have accomplished 
But I tell leaders this, especially in the hiring space, destination, not negotiable. We know that we have a product to deliver, but if there's ever a time right now in the, in the history of our country for us to be able to be innovative, even with this, of understanding of understanding the overall scope of what we're trying to produce, okay, that can't be negotiable. That is what it is. But how we get there, completely negotiable. Right. So destination, not negotiable, but journey, it has to be negotiable. As long as everybody's agreeing on that same journey. It has to be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, because if we're all going to go, we got a team of five, and we know that we want to end up in point Z, and we got five people going five different ways, that's not going to work. The five people have to come together on their, uh, the map of their journey. Am I right on that? Yes, absolutely. The difference between what you just said, though, and what I was, what I'm communicating is just the idea of we have to be okay with being flexible with who we're looking for in order to put on that journey in the first place. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be the person that we would have chosen five years ago. We actually might find somebody different by looking for something, just being a little bit more flexible with the, with our options, as far as who could actually fulfill those spaces on our teams. So are you seeing a more, more of a, um, a look towards the right people as opposed to the specific skill set. Yes, it always comes down to character and chemistry. Competency is the third thing that can be taught. Um, and so if it comes to high levels of character, high levels of chemistry on the team, high levels of trust, those things are the engines. Competency is something where I hope that your right team member can grow into it. Um, but those are the things when it comes to, to character and competency, those are the, those are the things that we can't risk. Those are the things that have to be the engine. I'm going to have to get a little bell or something. Every time a guest mentions the T word of trust and just ring it because that word probably comes up in 99% of the interviews we've done about the critical of that. And people just underestimate the power of building that trust. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a book out there called The Speed of Trust, and yes. it's a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, it's a Stephen Covey book. And I think that that's why you're, you're hearing this consistently is because we can be flexible. We can be, we can empower to a degree that we've never had before if trust is a strong foundation on your, of your team. Once that thing is gone, uh, we're out to lunch. So let's talk about communication because you've mentioned it at numerous parts through our chat today. Yeah. Are there certain tools today that you are seeing organizations use? So I'm, I'm not, you're not part of any plug. You don't own a product that you're trying to hawk or sell or anything of that direction. But people are talking about using Calendly. They're using Slack. They're using Teams or Zoom or whatever. What are the ones that some of the top people are using to really enhance their communication? Are you seeing anything in that direction? Yeah, I, I see all those things. I see, I see Slack. I see, you know, Microsoft Teams. I, I, I see all those things. Um, even one of my clients is using Skype um, as a consistent thing. Um, you know, I think the idea of it's not necessarily just the methods of communication, but it's more of the value of it, of making sure people are seeing eyeballs as much as they possibly can, embracing some of the technology mechanisms we built the team's methodology around this centric idea of making sure to increase cadence of communication um, because this is a big deal. You know, I, this is, this is an ironic one. I'll throw this one at you because you've probably have heard this before, but in 2020, 
in the United States, organizations spent $287 billion on external communication to reach people that were completely unfamiliar with their products or their brands. This is called a marketing strategy. $287 billion spent on marketing in 2020. Only 1% of that was actually spent internally to make sure that the people that were closest to us as leaders fully understood the mission and the vision of our organizations. Wow. There's so much room for improvement here and it all comes down to communication. So that ties us into culture, am I right? 100%. And a lot of people would, you know, I, I think when people ask the question of like whether culture can be measured or whatnot, I would highly disagree with that. I think that culture can be measured. And this is one of those things to where it's, there can be actually a KPI attached to it. And yep. you can actually see the returns on how you're communicating internally. Yeah. You can do a line and simply say, okay, what's the behavior we're allowing to happen right now above the line? And yep. what, we're, what are we not allowing to happen? And right there in between, that's our culture. Now, we want to change some of that. Are we allowing some behaviors to happen that we shouldn't be? We need to move those down and that's going to adjust our culture. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And, you know, to, and this is where organizations to where on the church space and on the nonprofit space, that group of people they behave a little bit differently than your typical profit organization. And mm -hmm. this is where I would challenge everybody is that just because you might be a senior leader in a, in say like a church based environment, just because you have a vision and just because you have a mission, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make everything happen based on the people that you currently have. Just because you're trying to communicate it and push it down, it doesn't necessarily mean that your team's going to execute on it. So understanding that sometimes you actually don't get to choose your team. Your team gets to choose you. Volunteers. And this is 100%. And so there's a little bit of some differences there, but the key is always understanding how healthy is your communication pathway? Is it both ways or is it just one way? I just want to remind you that, that communication, it has to be an echo. If there's no echo, then it only is a platform. Explain what you mean by echo. Communication happens. So say in this conversation here, we're, we're having this conversation and the things that I'm saying to you, you're repeating back to me and I'm getting it. And so there's a common understanding that we're on the same page and that we're talking about similar things. In some organizations, and depending on the leadership paradigms that exist in those organizations, we've become too comfortable with the idea that what we talk about, it doesn't need to come back to us as long as the team is executing. But we have to be reminded that if, if it's not coming back to us, if we're not getting feedback, if we're not getting eyeball to eyeball connection, if we're not getting feedback in an appropriate way, okay, those are short-lived uh, moments of execution. They're not going to be long-term. And it's not going to build a foundation out of that. Absolutely not. Sustainability always happens when you have the echo. If okay. there's no echo, then it's just a blast. And yeah. that's important to remember. And that's the reflective listing we were talking about earlier about going down a path and making sure it pulls back on and making those in-flight corrections, making sure everybody's on the same page. If, if you were to hire a coach, what are things you tell people if they need to hire a coach to help them become a better leader? What are some questions that people can ask if they're going out looking for coaches? What should they be asking to look for a coach to help? Um, when people are looking for a coach, they should be looking for somebody who has gone before them that has some sort of level of, of expertise in the space that they're in. 
but they're going to be looking, there's kind of genre specific coaches, you know, there's the, like the life coaches, there's the executive coach level, there's, you know, sports or whatnot. Um, but you, you want to find somebody who, who exists within the crowd that you want to be a part of. And I think that that is the, probably one of the biggest things that is understanding that when you're looking for a coach, you're looking for somebody who's gone before you that has a, a certain level of expertise or experience, or they have fruit by what I mean by fruit. Uh, you're looking for somebody who is, who, who has proven expertise in the area that you, that you're currently in, but that you're also able to see that they're influencing the field that you want to be in. So there's a lot of opportunity for coaches. And I think this is one of the things that I struggled with coming out of full-time ministry a little bit is that I'm finding a lot of guys that kind of sit within the executive coaching space, um, that they don't have any credentials, that they just have a personality and this is a hard job. And I am 100% committed to seeing my clients win at a, at a place that they've never won before. Mm -hmm. I, I want to see them be healthier leaders and I want them, I want them to experience success in ways that are tangible and real. And it's not just about a personality. It's about understanding there's actually a, a science and a practice to being an executive coach. So you want to find somebody who's legitimate and has some credibility in the field that you're in. And not just the fact that they went into some school and got a credentials about being a coach either. So they right, got to have, exactly. they got to have the whole crossover blend. Yep. 100%. As we start to close this up, what are a couple of things you would advise leaders to be doing today that they might not have thought about. In other words, with the pandemic, hopefully <coughs> winding down, what are some things that we can share with our listeners today that they can start to implement immediately? Absolutely. Um, thank you for asking that question. I think one of the things that's been kind of heavy on the horizons is this, just the idea that sometimes it's our leadership, it's our, it's our visionary leadership that are coming from our senior leaders that are actually burning out our teams. And did you hear what I just said there, by the way? I heard the words. I'm not sure I understand it. So let's try yeah. it again. So sometimes it's our visionary leadership that is actually burning out our teams. Um, and and what I'm talking by, about at any level at this point, I'm not just talking about the visionary from the C-suite. Yeah, I'm talking about it at any level. Okay. So it doesn't matter whether it's coming from the highest level or, or whatever it is. And, you know, there's so many different ways that I could break this down, but I want to, I just want to remind us that, you know, as a senior leader, or as even as a mid-level leader, you are responsible for your vision. And so I don't want you to hear that and say, oh, Michael is just telling us to not be visionaries. No, you're actually responsible to having a good, compelling vision, but nothing burns a team member out faster than committing to a vision that's bigger than your team without the resources to back it up. And those resources could be anything from human resources to financial resources, to academic, uh, academic, to educational, to whatever it is, but your team is worth everything that every, your team is worth more than what you can actually possibly even imagine. So understanding that your vision, the only way that you can actually execute your next level out is making sure number one is that you actually do document it. So if you have a vision, you know, go ahead and document it. But the second part of that is at taking a real evaluation of what you currently have on your team and understanding what you can accomplish now, and then making sure that your vision's known as far as where you're going to go, but don't overcommit to your vision first before you actually know what needs to happen today. 
don't overcommit. That's that goes back to an old expression I think Zig Ziglar used years ago. And he was talking about goals. He said goals should be out of reach, but not out of sight. And the same thing for your uh, your teams at this point. The vision should be slightly out of reach, but not out of sight that they can't get there. 100%. And I, I think that you can relate to this is just when a leader starts to get desperate, they start to try things that they shouldn't be trying. They start to reach for things that are out of reach. And then what ends up happening is then a team then starts to spin out a bit. And so when a team understands that you've invited them into your vision scape, so they know what you see. Okay. I love the idea that a visionary, that they should make their vision known because as soon as that a visionary makes their vision known, they invite accountability. So again, so a leader's not going to get up in front of people and say, this is where I want to go without the expectancy that people are going to hold their feet to the fire and make sure that they get there. Right. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is too, is that an emotionally responsible and healthy, mature leader is also going to come down to ground level and saying, okay, I'm aware of where we're at today, but here are the three steps that need to happen before we can actually implement your next, the next level vision. So I want you to help me get there. Allow your team to actually have a voice in that. You're going to sustain players much longer on your team. And you might even attract some new people that will help you be a catalyst for future growth in a, in a, in a faster way. But that's probably one of the biggest things of this of like, man, your vision's important. I want to see what you see, but don't overcommit your team without their permission. Yeah. It's interesting because the whole time you're talking about the vision there, my mind is going to goals. Now, keeping in mind that personal goals are one thing, you're talking team goals are another thing, but now the vision is part of that <clears throat> and making sure that it is an attainable vision. So we can go back and do the smart analogy all over that again is making sure that it works right in line. 100%. And I have story after story when it comes to just, because right now the thing that you're probably hearing a lot about is that people are talking about scaling. I mean, it's just like entrepreneurs and we're all looking at the, at the pandemic differently. And so scaling is a big conversation in the church world. It comes down to multi-site. It comes in, every business is working through this idea that you have to have a digital business at the exact same time that you have to have a brick and mortar business now because the world has changed so drastically. All those things are relevant conversations, but what can you commit to and what can you excel at today with the people that you have today? That's powerful. And a lot of what you're talking about works, speaking of scaling, from a small entrepreneurial business all the way up to a Fortune 500 business. That's correct. So that's, that's the key things that we want folks to take away from here today. The ideas that you've shared with us, Michael, are spot on for every level of leadership, whether you're the business owner, whether you're the CEO, whether you're a mid-level manager, whether you're the team member, you every one of my expressions is every team has a leader and it's not always the person who's in charge. So that's exactly accurate. So I'm really glad. Thank you for joining us. I tell you, the time flies by on the teamwork advantage and I really appreciate your time. How can people reach out to you if they want to reach out, reach you? You know what? I'm going to go ahead and give you two different ways. You can find me through, through my website. It's teams.coach is pretty simple. So uh, feel, feel free to, to hop on there and reach out to me there. But I'm also going to give you my personal cell phone number. And so if some of these concepts that we've talked about today, um, when it comes to establishing your vision in a way that can compel your team and move you forward faster without burning out your team, this is one of the, the things that we have resources for, and I'd love to be able to get, get them out to your listeners if that's okay. Um, but my direct cell phone number is just go ahead and text me 763-245-4984. Okay. I'm going to put that in our show notes as well. 763-245-4984. Yep. That's right. 
trying to read my own writing there. So it gets to be a challenge. Michael, once again, thank you for joining us. Michael King from Nebraska joining us here on the Teamwork Advantage. You know, folks, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, you get ideas that you can implement immediately. And Michael certainly gave us several of those. You know, I um, always believe that when you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, you're not an average person. So you don't want you to have an average day. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know you're not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.